so today is socks and underwear Sunday. Uh, as a kid, I hated getting socks and underwear. Happened to me a couple times once. It happened to me when I was eight, and my mom's best friend, Miss Sherry, and her daughters bought me underwear for my birthday party. It was so humiliating to open that package, and there would be underwear in front of God and all my friends. Uh, then one year when I was a teenager, early teenage years, there was a gift to my grandfather from me that the labels got backwards and it said to me from my granddad, and they weren't even cool socks. They were like gold toe uh, navy blue socks, and I opened it. I was so confused. I hated whenever I opened a gift and saw socks and underwear. Now as an adult, I love getting socks and underwear. I love it when my kids get socks and underwear. Every year at Christmas, my mom, uh, she, so there, there's her and then eight of us, Natalie and I, and then my brother Jason, his wife Katie, our two sons, Noah and Owen, and then his two sons, Hunter and Matthew. And there are eight, so that means there are eight different uh, wrapping papers, and uh, everybody gets, I think it's like four gifts from my mom, right? And, uh, and one of the gifts is always socks and underwear. And she somehow knows which gifts are the socks and underwear so that when you go and you're opening the gifts, like the boys don't get socks and underwear for the first gift or for the last gift. Because nobody wants their first Christmas pre uh, present from your grandma to be underwear. And nobody wants the last present after all the awesomeness to be underwear and socks. And so she has figured out a way to say, oh, boys, open this one now. And they'll do it. And here's how it goes. They, they tear into it because their first gift is always awesome. They tear into it and they open it and it's underwear. And they look and they throw it to the, at Natalie. Like they just throw it in her general direction. And then we begin to move on. My mom, uh, and, and I'm sitting there with Christmas delight thinking, thank you, Jesus. That is one less thing I have to buy this year. Because if, you, uh, if, you are, if you've never had boys, uh, and you guys, this day is coming really for you very soon with Ryan, after a few months, boys, this especially Noah, their socks get a smell that to them that is just, um, it's really bad. It's really really bad. And those underwear, like they seem to somehow get smaller and smaller as our kids' behinds get bigger and bigger. And so by the end, like it's just, by the time we get to December 20th and Noah's wearing last year's underwear, like they're just, he's just barely squeezing in there. And it's, it's God's grace that every 12 months we get new socks and underwear because the underwear are too small and the socks are just this toxic, awful uh, smell. Now, we can live without, like, all the gadgets. Now, I, like, what is, uh, what's your gift on your list this year if it's, like, the gadgety sort of thing that you really want? Natalie wants a new coffee grinder. She, we have just about worn ours uh, out. We grind a lot of coffee in our house, and so that's the gadget that she's really wanting this year. I would tell you the gadgets I want, but you would just think I was materialistic and you would judge me. But let's just say, like, there's a list. We can live without gadgets and electronics. We don't want to live without socks and underwear. Like, nobody wants to be friends with the guy, uh, especially where I've lived most of my life in the South, who doesn't wear socks. Like, in the summer, not wearing socks and tennis shoes. Like, I remember playing basketball with guys at youth camp, and they wouldn't wear socks. And then you go back to our cabin at night, and they take those shoes off, and you were like, oh, my Lord Jesus. Like, it would just be, nobody wants to be friends with the person who doesn't wear socks ever, and definitely nobody wants to be friends with the person who 
doesn't wear underwear. Like, I don't know if, if that's how you roll in here today. If it is, let me just say, don't tell anybody because you never look at someone the same when you find out they don't wear underwear. Like, have you ever met someone and then found out they didn't wear underwear and you're sitting by them, right? And they're right here. I mean, you find out and you just kind of lean away or you'll say, I got to go get uh, some more coffee. And then you come and find another seat. Like, nobody wants to be like socks and underwear or something that we have to have. So let's call socks and underwear as a present today. Let's call that the gifts that we need, but the gifts that we don't want. Right? We all need it. And we don't want it. I, as a kid, it took me until I had kids, and I'm really cheap, honestly, to see socks and underwear as like an actual gift. I just thought it was a waste of Christmas paper for a long time. But now I see it, it is a gift, but it's a gift that we need and not a gift in our house that we, never, that we necessarily want. And life deals with socks and underwear, by the way, all the time. That's just the way the world works. That's the way God works. As people who follow Jesus, we believe that God gives us or allows into our lives, uh, in his love, socks and underwear. Like God allows gifts that we need but don't want into our life all the time. Just before we even get going, like let me let your brains run for a minute. Has God allowed any socks and underwear into your life this year? Things that you needed but did not want. Has there been things in relationships or in your personal life or emotional life or challenges or things that you needed but didn't want uh, this year? I would like, if I can, to read, we're going to read two passages about Jesus' birth, his, uh, his incarnation, Jesus becoming a human, becoming a man, and, uh, and today, and look at kind of the socks and underwear idea. So often we romanticize Jesus' birth and even his life. But if we're honest and we really look at the incarnation, God becoming a human to save humans from heaven's perspective and not Hallmark's, it looks a bit like socks and underwear. Uh, I want to read you my favorite Christmas verse, if we can, and then, uh, and then we're going to go to another verse about the incarnation of Jesus. Because if we see it rightly, if we see Jesus becoming human rightly, then we realize the blessings of sort of the socks and underwear that come into our life. So John 1 if you've got the paper Bible, again, it's 981 or 517. We're just going to read verse 14. This is my favorite. Uh, this may be my favorite verse about Jesus in all of Scripture. And John says this. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Another, uh, the message written by Eugene Peterson, he translates this verse and he says, and the, and the word of God put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Man, that's such a neat idea. God moved into the neighborhood and everything changed. That word glory, I love that word glory. In the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, the word glory means fat. It means fatness. When it talks about the glory of God, it would envision a, a large animal being killed and placed on the altar as a sacrifice to God and the fat parts of the animal burning and going up to God. Like it would be that fat part on a steak that's so good, but we should not eat it. Like we should absolutely not eat it, but man, it's so marbleized. Like the glory of God is like that. It would go up to God, all of his weightiness and all of his heaviness. It's like God has gravitas 
And glory is the gravitas of God, the weightiness, the heaviness of God. Now in the New Testament, where we are here in John 1, that word glory doesn't mean weight or heaviness or fatness. It means brightness. The glory of God is a brightness. There's a brightness to God's glory. It's like a light, splendor, majesty, radiance. When we give God glory, it's as if we take a spotlight and shine a spotlight on Him. That's what it means to glorify God. It means to shine light on God. And they can, you know, like when you go to a play and they've got a spotlight and they shine it down. First, they have to kind of line it up and get it exactly right. And it shines on the person who's speaking, the person who's the key actor. When we give God glory, we shine a light on Him and we let everything else go sort of dark and and unimportant compared to him. That's what it means to give God glory. We reveal that he is glorious and splendid and radiant and worthy of praise. Now, I think so often we romanticize Christmas a lot. I have a friend, Joel, and he uh, gets to travel the world a lot. And the souvenir he always brings back is a nativity scene from wherever he goes. And um, so he's got one from Russia that looks like little Russian dolls. He's got one from Central America, and there's a llama uh, at the nativity set. He's got one from Alaska that has a polar bear there around baby Jesus. He's got them from Africa, and it's, be- it's this beautiful dark wood, and all the characters uh, are just, it's, it's otherworldly. It's the most gorgeous nativity set I've ever seen, and he's got them from all over the world, and all the animals are very regional, but the one thing that's universal in the 15 or 20 nativity sets he has is Mary is always so serene. Joseph is always so peaceful. Baby Jesus is lying there, usually his arms out, as if a lot of infants just lay there like with their arms out like this, right? And he's, so, he's just laying there so calm. And, uh, and, and so we romanticize Christmas. We make it so peaceful. Um, Mary's usually got this halo around her head. And there she is just looking at baby Jesus, glorifying him. In our mind, she's not a teenage girl, who just had a baby, a newborn, with no midwife. Like, that's a crazy idea. Here's a teenager, about Hope's age, having a baby in a barn with no mom and no family member to help her at all. And, and you know, she has no cute clothes to put her baby in. There's no little crib she's going to set him in. She ends up just wrapping him in death rags, essentially, tying him up in the swaddling clothes to swaddle him and laying him in a feed trough. And then there's Joseph. He's, you know, Joseph's always leaning against, a, in a, a, so often against like a shepherd's staff. He's standing over and protecting, his, uh, protecting Mary and, his, and, and baby Jesus. And he's stoic and saintly and he usually has a halo. Probably not the guy who just saw his wife deliver a baby and even helped. Now, when my kids were born, the doctor was like, don't you want to be down here and help deliver the baby? I was like, no, I'm I'm good up here. I'm just going to hold her hand and hope she doesn't squeeze my hand too tight. Like, I might pass out for that. And then the boys were born, and the doctor said, you want to come cut the umbilical cord? I'm like, nope, I'm good. I don't have to do any of that. And Joseph, in our nativity sets, is so stoic and relaxed. But here's a guy who just helped his teenage, soon-to-be wife deliver a baby in a barn and in uh, and, and, and the whole lead up to this, here's a guy whose fiance, Mary, said, hey, I'm going to have a baby, but don't worry. I know it's not your kid, but it's God's kid. You know, as a guy, how, how would we process that? And so in the, he's working through in that moment, he looks so calm and we've romanticized it. 
But in truth, he's just watched his soon-to-be wife deliver a baby that's not his. And he's been through, I imagine, the shunning of his community of people who have said, oh, you love God. You say that she loves God. Whose baby is this? His fa- their families aren't even there. Maybe they've been run off from their family. It's nothing like what we see. We tend to see the shepherds. Uh, they're very nice and cleaned up, and they've brought little sheep and lambs. The truth was that they were third shift, unclean nobodies, as Desheen and Dowdy read last week. These were nobodies, third shift workers. The wise men or the magi are at our nativity sets as well. And I love them because there's always, there's always a white one a dark-skinned one, and a caramel-skinned one. Have you ever noticed that? Like, and yet, the truth is, this was not some ethnically diverse three-group of guys. Like, these were Iraqi, Middle Eastern, star-worshipping pagan astrologers who saw a weird star in the sky and began to follow it. And then the sheep, the donkeys, the cows, and the camels at our nativity sets are quiet and even worshipful. And our sets... Our sets don't tend to come. Like, I never bought an activity set that came with a fragrance that said animal dung or moldy hay. And yet, that's exactly what's going on at that nativity set. Think about the smells when you go into a barn. It has a very distinct smell. Our nativity sets are nothing like that. And then there's baby Jesus. So calm and quiet and peaceful. No crying he makes. My children cried all the time. I remember that first night we put Noah in the bed. We brought him home. He's two nights old. We set him in his little bed and we prayed. We knew that God had just given us an angel. He was going to be an angel. And we said, God, thank you for this little guy. He is amazing. He's going to sleep through the night. It's going to be a blessing. God, just give us a good night. We laid him down and walked away and went to go lay in our beds. And it, he made noises he had never made. He didn't make those noises in the hospital. That first night, I think we got like maybe 20 minutes of sleep. But when we envision baby Jesus, he's so quiet and serene, and, uh, and it was just nothing like that whatsoever. The nativity scene of our imagination in a pop culture may be full of peaceful glory, but it's not real. I want to share with you a real passage, if I can, of the incarnation. Look at Isaiah 53, if you will, with me. Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel. It was written in 700 BC, 700 years before Jesus would be born. Isaiah was written. This passage is about the incarnation. It's not about Jesus' birth, but it's really about Jesus uh, coming and ultimately about Jesus dying. I want to read to you uh, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read, I think, the first 11 verses. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, this is talking about Jesus, 700 years before he would come, grew up before him, before God, like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows. That's one of the the saddest phrases in the entire Bible to me. Jesus wasn't this happy-go-lucky, hippie, cool Uh, always joyful. He was a man, the Bible says, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And I think that's why he wasn't always joyful, but was in fact a man of sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, our iniquities. In other words, God crushed him for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shearer silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now I want to, I want to, I love these next three verses. Boy, let the weight of the gospel fall on our hearts. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. By Jesus' death, the many are accounted righteous. We get God's righteousness through Jesus, and he shall bear their iniquities. So Jesus had, like, what is in your mind, what does Jesus look like? In my mind... Um, Jesus often has long hair. In your mind, does Jesus have long hair? In my mind, Jesus is somewhere between smiling and very serious. Is he like that in your mind? Like, in my mind, uh, in the Jesus of my childhood, he usually had a lamb around him. I don't know why that was, but he always had a sheep around him. Even though he wasn't a shepherd, he was a carpenter. In truth, he was uh, probably rough he had rough hands. He worked as a, as a blue-collar tradesman. He was a, he was a carpenter. Kids loved him. People, the, the worst people in town loved being around Jesus. And kids who were nobodies that day loved being around Jesus. But man, he was fierce. I can just see the eyes of Jesus looking into our eyes and piercing right through us. But the truth was, whatever, however he acted, Isaiah wrote seven years before he came, and it was totally true, there's nothing about him that was so attracted that we would just look and say, oh man, I want to follow him because he looks so good and powerful. That wasn't how Jesus was. He had no majesty that we should look at him, no beauty, it says in verse 2, that we would desire him. If we lived with Jesus, we would have found him unattractive. We wouldn't have thought there was anything to him. Verse 3 says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We'll see in a moment this passage is speaking of his coming, crucified Jesus. But even baby Jesus was unseen and unknown that first night and mostly unworshipped. Here was God putting skin on and nobody even paid attention. He had no majesty, no form. He was afflicted. He was ignored and nobody cared. And starting in verse 4 and going through verse 9, it says a few things he did. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. God hit him with his wrath as the weight. Jesus on the cross makes this transfer. He goes to the cross. At the cross, as they're nailing six-inch spikes through his wrists and through his feet, and that moment as the weight of that earthly pain comes down, at the same time the weight of all of our sin comes down. Every sin that Ricky has ever committed right there on the cross is 
coming on to Jesus. He's taking it. He's absorbing it. Holy God is looking at his son, taking on sin, sinless Jesus before sinless God. Sinless Jesus is now taking on sin. Every sin Ricky would ever commit. Every sin coach would ever commit. Every sin Lana would ever commit. Every sin everyone has ever commit. All Everybody ever is coming on to Jesus and God is smiting him. God is allowing his wrath to come onto his son because of our sin in that moment. And so it wasn't just that we rejected Jesus. It's that God in that moment to pay for our sins so we can have relationship with God. God had to reject him and turn away. And Isaiah goes on and says, even with all of that, we've all gone our own way. We've all turned away um, because Jesus is not the Savior that we would want, but he's the Savior we need. Jesus is not the Savior we would want, but he's the Savior we need. In verse 10, it says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has to put him to grief so that he can make an offering for our guilt. And out of that, in verse 11, it says, out of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied by his knowledge. He shall, shall the righteous one, my servant, make the many be accounted righteous. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He only sees the righteousness of Jesus. Without all of that, without Jesus coming and dying like that, it can't happen. So from our perspective, we've got the nice nativity set. How many of you have a nativity set up at your house? Yeah, a lot of us, right? And it's nice. Go and look at your characters today. Look how nice they look. I don't think Joseph's hair is going to be a mess and Mary's not going to be all sweaty and there's not going to be blood there in the hay. And it's going to, baby Jesus, let me know, text me today, let me know, are his arms up or is he swaddled nice but screaming bloody murder? Let me know what's going on. And our nativity set, it's peaceful from God's perspective. From God's perspective, everything was made good. Everything that had been made good in creation and was undone by sin, at that moment, at the nativity set, God is beginning to put it all back in order through Jesus' coming and eventually through his death and resurrection. Without this moment and the life that follows, we can't have our sins atoned for. I love what, there's a theologian, D.A. Carson, and he wrote this. I want to read this quote to you. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, and our death. And therefore, he sent us a savior. Jesus wasn't, Jesus was socks and underwear. He's not the savior we would have wanted, but he was the savior that we needed. Left to our own, most of us would want a savior who is an economist, an entertainer, a political leader, or a hero or superhero, but God knew what we needed. And so that's the big idea today. Jesus wasn't the savior they or we wanted, but he was the savior we needed. He didn't come the way they wanted or we would have wanted but he came the way that we needed. So what does that mean? I want to give us four things today really quickly. God is no less good when he gives what we need, but not what we want. Okay? God is no less good when he allows into our life the things we need, but not the things we want. See, out of those four gifts my mom gives my boys, I know one of them is going to be socks and underwear. 
and I'm delighting. I'm like, I, I love the look on their face of disappointment when they open it and throw it across the room. Like, I love that. My mom's goodness is not at risk because she gives them socks and underwear, a gift they need but don't want. When they open that, they don't think, oh, Mamu is not good because she's given me socks and underwear. That's ridiculous. They still think she's good even though it's a gift they didn't necessarily want. So often, though, many people walk away from God in the, in the wake of a death of a loved one or the sickness of a loved one. People walk away from God if they've been victimized by sin or they've committed a grievous sin. People walk away from a ch- God uh, if a church or a Christian doesn't meet their expectations. I see that. And they blame God as they walk away. But truthfully, for a Christ follower, anything that comes to us only arrives in our life after passing through God's hand. So Lana, a month ago, we prayed over Lana and Carson as she was going through this cancer stuff. And man, by God's grace, if you haven't heard, like the doctor's got all of it, she's doing great, she's cancer-free. That did not come into your guys' life without first passing through God's hand of love. And that's a crazy thought because we don't want to think that God allows rough things into our life. And yet he does because he knows what we need. He knows exactly what we need. So when life gives us what we need, but what, not what we want, it doesn't call into question God's goodness or even his godness. Life is hard. The world is broken. We were talking just now, Alicia and, and Desheen and I and Scott, about Coke Zero and how bad it is for you and like how you drink Coke Zero. Sorry to be a Debbie Downer. It may come get you later in life, right? Like, you know why? Because God is mean? No, because life is broken. And sometimes... We live in a world where we get cancer and sickness and bad things happen. Some gifts come from God uh, that come from God make much more sense later than they do right here, right now. God's will is always clearer in the rearview mirror. See, I want to be able to say, and I want for you guys, you teenagers, uh, I wish God's will were like right out here where hope could say, oh, God told me I've got to go to this college, and if I go here, then all of my life is going to be really smooth after that. That's not how it works. So often, if we just walk with the Lord, he makes, us, he, he makes it clear how we're to live. And then we look in the rearview mirror and we go, oh, pff, man, God was with me every step of the way. He gave me what I needed in perfect time. The second thing about socks and underwear from God, faith is trust. Real tested living faith learns to trust God in the daily routine of life. Noah, Noah, don't question my mom's love when they open socks and underwear. They love her. She can get away with buying socks and underwear for them because they have relationship with her. They have meals together, good gifts, memories, and much more. Similarly, in our lives, we can receive the socks and underwear of life and faith more easily as we walk with God more intimately. If something's coming to your life and it's hard to understand what God was about what he was doing, understand it's easier to receive the things we need but don't want if we've walked with God intimately. So if you want to prepare yourself in 2020 for the things that could be hard that are ahead, learn to, in grace, walk closer with Jesus. Let him get as close, like, don't sort of unstitch yourself from him. Stay as close to the Lord as you possibly can. If God has dealt you socks and underwear and you don't like it, keep walking with him. He loves you and he has a really special plan for your life and faith. The third thing, getting only what we want makes us, and man, this is hard. 
Nat and I were talking about this the other day, and we did one of those. Have you ever heard something that's so true that you just go, mm. like we did one of those because it was painful, right? Those are painful words. Getting only what we want makes us spoiled, entitled, unrealistic brats. Getting what we need makes us grateful and joyful. If I only, socks and underwear of life and faith make us grateful and joyful. I don't love going shopping with my boys this time of year. I am not going to lie. I try to do, Nat and I try to do all our shopping without them. It's not fair to them to go into public places. If they go to the grocery store, the first thing that they see is a, a, a standee full of cookies. And all the cookies are beautiful colors. And then there's chips and there's all the crap that they don't need to eat. And what do they immediately do? They're set up for failure. Mom, I want that. Yeah, but we're not getting that, you know. And, uh, and so then you have to go through the whole store because it's always right there as you walk in. It's like at the starting point. We have to go to the whole store listening to them. I want that. I want that. I want that. It's like it triggers that I want and they can't stop doing it. When we go to stores, there's toys at Target where there are not normally toys. Have you noticed that? There's stuff that's normally like gadgets and, and necessities. But at this time of year, there's toys. And Owen walks in and his eyes get, get like this big. And he's like, I, Dad, I want that. We're like, hey, buddy, Christmas is coming. Dad, you don't understand. I want that today. And we're like, well, you're not getting it today. Or you've got money, buy it. He's like, I don't want to buy it. I want you to buy it for me. And then it's just this long, painful, awful discussion. And uh, it's terrible. I have good kids. They don't do that a lot. But we hear at this time of year, like every three steps, it's like three steps, I want. Three steps, I want. Three steps, I want. I want. If we always got what we want, nothing would mean anything, and we would become brats. And that's not just true with stuff. That's true with God. If God only ever gave us the things we wanted, we would become brats. We've all seen that bratty kid who gets told no. Like, have you ever been at the grocery store and you're running parallel to that poor mother who's trying to, like, get through the experience with her kid and the kid's melting down? It happens in the cereal aisle worse than anywhere else on planet Earth. Like, the cereal aisle is the worst. And you can just hear the kid melting into screams. I mean, you can just feel the weight of the mom melting as the kid is melting, and you're just like, God, help them clean up that mess over on the cereal aisle and forgive that kid for what he's doing to his parents. Like, I feel so bad. It makes me understand why. I, I went and looked up this week how many animals eat their babies. And I understand why. Like... I understand why some animals eat their babies, like going to stores at this time of year. I get it. When God gives us what we need, ultimately in salvation and Jesus by the cross, uh, and then when he gives us what we need in the moment, like none of us tonight is homeless. Every one of us today will eat a meal that'll be really good. Uh, we have our health. We have relationships with one another. We have peace with God. Uh, when God gives us what we need, ultimately in salvation and then in the moment, he never fails to show up. Uh, we can have joyful, grateful hearts. The older I get, the more I appreciate every single thing my mom ever did for me. It's crazy. When I look back, I'm like, how did she do, how did she work three jobs and provide this and do all this stuff? It makes me so grateful. I don't care what she gave me at Christmas. Doesn't matter. If I only got my wants with her and with God, I would be a brat. Because I received my needs, it gives me deep gratitude. Deep, deep gratitude. Uh, toward her, but ultimately toward the Lord. 
What all do we have spiritually in Christ to be thankful for this Christmas? God has met our needs. And here's the fourth benefit of socks and underwear. Having our needs met provides gratitude for all the other gifts. We have our needs met. Then we begin to have grateful hearts when we get what we want. My grandma was born in 1919. She'd been 100 years old if she'd have lived uh, to today. She had a hard upbringing. Her mom died when she was really, really young. And uh, her dad remarried. And I don't think that they had a, she had a great relationship with her stepmom. She didn't even, we didn't even talk about this stuff a whole lot uh, growing up. And, and she also grew up in, in Georgia in, in the Great Depression. Like, it was a tough time. And I asked her one time, uh, what she got every year for Christmas. And she said every year for Christmas she would get a stocking and it would always have a couple of oranges in it and it would have some peppermints and it would have some candy. And there wasn't much more than that. And I asked her, did you ever get any really special gifts? And she said, yes. I remember getting skates. A lot of years I would get skates. And she and her girlfriends would skate down Broadway in Macon, Georgia, which to me is mind-boggling because that is places dangerous and busy. And I can just see my grandma back in like 1925, 1926, skating down Broadway in Macon, Georgia uh, with her friends having a good time before cars were a birthright. Having her needs met but not always getting her wants made the skate so very precious to her, made them incredibly precious. And getting the skates made the necessities easier to receive with joy. Somebody sacrificed to give her those things, and it gave her a grateful heart. The truth was, she didn't talk about her upbringing a lot. The truth was also, she didn't complain about her upbringing a lot. She was at peace because her needs had met and her wants had been met. The truth is, God gives us a lot of wants in addition to providing our needs. Matthew six thirty three says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff, clothes, home, food, will be added to you. God has met our needs and so many of our wants. Having our needs met by God, like my grandma, makes receiving wants a matter of joy. Receiving wants allows us to be joyful about receiving needs every day and every hour. So we can be so joyful. Christians should be so joyful. Now, where do you have socks and underwear in your life? Where is God given or allowed what you needed but didn't want? Some of you had health stuff this year. A few of you had health stuff this year that you didn't want, but it deepened your faith in, uh, in trust in God and relationships with others. You may not know it, but you hugged her the day that we prayed for her, and that meant the world. And so all the time, you are her favorite. No disrespect to anybody else. <laughs> we all have favorites with you guys, like... Garvin's is maybe my favorite because he beats me down in basketball so badly every time, right? You are Lana's favorite. You are family to them because of that. That does not happen if you had not gotten the socks and underwear of a health thing. That is crazy. Some of you had job transitions this year. Some of the people at our church had a job transition this year that you didn't expect a year ago. You didn't starve in that time. You didn't starve at all, but you had to learn to trust God in new ways for basic things like having a job that met your needs. In October, we prayed off Tim and Amy. Do you remember them? That was the 15th and 16th people who moved from our church in 100 days. That was over a third of our church moved to California, Minnesota, Washington, D.C., Florida, Tennessee, and North Carolina. That killed me. That killed me to watch that happen. 
We lost most of our Christ Kids teachers. We lost our communion server. Barb stepped in and began to do that every week. We lost givers. We lost four kids. And we lost a family who was here from the very first day. Uh, And yet, after I grieved their loss, what has been so cool is to watch God bring other people into our church family who who would not maybe have come otherwise and watch you begin to serve and more is yet to come. So here's practical applications. Let me give you three things I want to encourage you to do. One, don't romanticize Christmas. See, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, magi, and animals for what they are. Smell the real smells. Smell those. Hear the real sounds, screaming, uh, crying. Uh, Contrast what actually was with how we make it look. And thank God that he didn't send us the Savior we wanted, but he sent us the Savior we needed. He didn't send us the Savior we wanted, but the Savior we needed. He didn't come like Prince George or Princess Charlotte or Prince Louis to Prince William and Princess Kate, Duchess of Cambridge. God came into the filth of a stable, so he's not shocked by the filth of our lives. God knows what it's like to come into filth. So sometimes I can feel filthy, like this week I swore in front of Owen. He's like, Dad, I heard what you just said. And I felt so dirty and gross in that moment. God is not shocked by the filth of my heart. He came in the filth once and he resides in the middle of filth now. He's, he has made us clean in Christ. God came into the brokenness of Jerusalem in the first century so he can come into the brokenness of our lives and community. He came and dwelt among us and lived to die, as Isaiah 53 said, for our sins. And we beheld his, his glory, majesty, radiance, seen in the stable seen in his humility, seen in how he came to serve rather than be served. Second thing, application, don't romanticize Jesus. Don't turn him, as I call him, don't turn him to Swedish beauty pageant Jesus with long flowing blonde hair and blue eyes and matching beauty pageant sash and white uh, robe. Don't romanticize following Jesus. If God didn't spare his son to save us, he will not withhold anything good from us as we follow him. But he gets to define what good is. He gets to define what good is and and what is good for us. Seek to receive all of his gifts, including the socks and underwear, as gifts coming from a loving father, even the socks and underwear. Third, don't romanticize church. Regarding following Jesus together, know that he will ask us to be the church we need to be, not just the church we all want to be, right? Right? He will ask us as we follow him to be the church we need to be, not just the church we want to be. To be that is going to cost. In 2020, God is calling us to be rooted in him, in joy, in faith, in one another, in knowledge, in holiness, and in mission. And these don't happen in the abstract. We don't get roots to know God deeper without having to open the Bible, each of us, and begin to read it on our own. We don't grow roots in giving and investing in this community and what God's doing in the world without us having to open up our checkbooks and write a check or go online and give. We don't uh, get to have kids hearing the gospel and get rooted in, in seeing families come to faith in Jesus. Last week, one of the kids came up to us. I was walking around with the camera taking photos, and he goes, a kid who's hardly ever been in church in his life, by the way, he goes, do we get to learn about God today? I was like, no, dude, we're just doing gingerbread houses. Have fun, man. Quit driving your parents crazy. How cool is that? But we don't get to do that in the abstract. That's going to take a serving. Last Sunday, there were more kids than adults, and that's not atypical around here. Last week, we had 65 people here, 
I was so amped up to see that many people. It's the most that have ever been here on a Sunday and got to hear the Bible. I did an emotional victory lap around my house. I went home. None of you got to see. It was like a touchdown dance, right? Like jubilation in Fortnite. I was so excited. Uh, And Natalie was decompressing. And then I realized that if 65 people in Charlestown were here, then I think we have a slide for this if you'll go to it. That means that roughly 17,935 people weren't here. If 65 were here, that means 17,935 people in our neighborhood weren't here. And we exist as a church for God's glory, for one another, but also for the one who's never been here, who doesn't know Jesus, who isn't part of God's family. Let's be a church committed to not resting or settling until every man, woman, boy, and girl among that 17,935 in this neighborhood have at least one chance at least one chance to accept Jesus as our Savior. One chance. 17,935 people. That means, unfortunately, we need socks and underwear serving. The serving we need, but not the serving we would want. It means we need socks. uh, We need you in Christ, kids. We need you... Uh, if this is your church, to give regularly. We need to, to give sacrificially and generously and joyfully. We, I need you to arrive 10 minutes early and plan to stay 10 to 15 minutes late. Take that first five minutes when we get done just to talk with each other and with new people and then take the next 10 minutes to stack chairs or help out whatever we need to get done, meeting people, helping tear down. We need to build a tear down team that will help Renee. He's getting so old and fragile and uh, he'll take any help that he can get. Um, we, need, we need to connect with new people. Last week, uh, Natalie was going over to the table and just grabbing coffee mugs and giving them to people, but then saying to people with kids, uh, give us your information. We want to send something to your kid this week. Kayla this week wrote 20 notes one by one to kids who visited last week and sent them a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Hey, we're so glad you came to our church. Like, we need to be the church that this community needs, not just the church that we want. We need people to join a small group. We need to... Uh, to start two more small groups next year. We need people who are praying for our church. We need a security person who makes sure that this place is locked down on Sundays and nobody can get in here and endanger our kids who shouldn't be in here. Um, So um, pray, God, is there something you would have me be that's not necessarily what I want, but what you need from me? Socks and underwear, not the Savior we'd... That we would send the Savior we need, not the discipleship journey we craft, but the, but, uh, but the one that God would have us go down so we could know him most. Not the church we want to casually attend, but the church this neighborhood needs. And that's the pattern, that's the pathway to joy. Here's the crazy thing. Almost nobody even knew Jesus was born that night. He was born and placed in a barn. They put him in a, they put him in a uh, feeding trough, right? But the people who did find him, the shepherds who did find him that night, what did the angel say? The angel came to the shepherds and said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This Jesus makes this season a season of joy, and he makes the faith journey a journey of joy. Being a Christian is the most exciting thing in the universe. It's the best way. My life, as I've gotten older and followed Jesus longer, has gotten less predictable and yet more exciting and fun. 
I'm having the most fun following Christ I have ever had in my life. It is really fun. God is, outside of circumstances, welling up joy in my life. And it's fun watching that same thing happen in your life. So let me pray for you.